Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Come on, smile for me. And I feel good. So good to see you today. I'm so glad you're in the house. Can we give it up for the guys that got baptized again today? Is that good stuff or what? Wow. I think about a dozen people have been baptized in both of our services today. And if the Lord's speaking to your heart and you're saying, you know, I really got to do that, then let us know. We'd love to get you uh, in the pool too because it's a very, 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 did I say very, very important part of your spiritual journey. I hope you'll take advantage of that. We're kicking off a series today, so I'm going to ask you a quick question. How many of you will agree with me that there are times when you're trying very hard to understand somebody that you're in a relationship with, and you can hear their words, but you have no clue what they mean? Can, can God bless that hand. I see that hand. Can all the married people in the room raise their hands? All the parents with teenagers in the room. It's just reality, isn't it? One of the things I discovered a long time ago, though, is one of the reasons there's a problem is because somewhere along the way, we learned to speak in code. You know that, right? Uh, next week, we're gonna, I'm going to share some of the codes. Guys, uh, I'll share some of the codes that the ladies use. We'll, we'll do that. But for today, I thought, ladies, I would help you out first by sharing with you some of the codes that your husband or the men in your life may use uh, so it'll help you to understand what he's actually saying, okay? So let me just share a couple with him. Here you go. When he says, we're going to be late, what he actually means is I finally have an excuse to drive like a maniac. That's, that's, what he really, that's what he really means. When he says, you cook just like my mother used to, what he really means is you use the smoke detector as a timer like she did. That's, 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 what, that's not what he meant. I thought that's what he meant. Uh, when he says, take a break, honey, you're working too hard, what he really means is turn the vacuum cleaner off. I can't hear the game. That's the one. Oh, we got one. Okay, when he says, that's interesting, dear, what he really means is, are you still talking? <laughs> right? When he says, honey, we don't need material things to show our love to one another, what he means is, I forgot to buy you something for our anniversary again. <laughs> We've got a lot of head nodding going on out there. If he says, this is really going to be a good movie, what he means is, they're going to drive fast cars and they're going to blow stuff up. That's what, that's what, what that, so is that helpful, ladies? This is a full-service church. We just want to help you out in every area of your life. Next week, guys, we'll get to the ladies. We'll share some of those codes. Maybe you'll understand uh, the ladies in your life when we do. For all of us, we're in this new series. We're calling We Need to Talk. And I know we all hate it. We're in a relationship with somebody and say, we need to talk. Oh, no, I don't want to talk. But in fact, communication is the center bedrock of every relationship we have. So over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about dysfunctional and functional ways to communicate. We're going to talk about the role of listening and, and, and the power of listening and how to go about listening actively. We're going to talk about what do you do when you've tried to communicate effectively and you've listened, but communication is just broken down and conflict is a reality of your relationship. I call it how to fight fair. We're going to talk about conflict resolution and how to deal with that in your relationships, and then ultimately we're going to land on how do you go about communicating love, respect, care, without even using words necessarily? How do you communicate it that kind of effective way on an emotional kind of level, a heart kind of level? Let me say quickly, I may use marriage as, a, uh, uh, as an illustration some throughout the series, but in fact, the principles we're going to be talking about apply to every relationship you have. They're going to apply to marital relationships, parent-child relationships, adult 
child with their parent relationship, sibling, co-worker, church member, every relationship uh, needs to understand these principles and the way they interact with each other. And, and I just want you to get it uh, because it's huge uh, that... Uh, that we get these principles. Today, I just want to kind of kick it off, get the wheels turning by letting you know and, and make sure we all understand just how powerful our words really are. So let me ask you a question. In war, uh, does anybody know what the first thing the invading force does? Any of you military types or military history types, you know what the first thing they do? They do their best to break communication between control and uh, command control and the ground troops of the opposing forces. That's what they do. And the reason they do that is they know that if they can break the communication link, they've just won half the battle without firing a shot. Communication is huge. What I need you to hear me say is that we are in a spiritual war and our families are the battlegrounds for it. What we need to understand is that Satan is the general who's come to steal, kill, and destroy, and he will do whatever it is at his disposal to get your relationships to break down and to falter and to struggle, and he knows that communication is at the heart of all of our relationships. So if he can get a foothold in our communication, then he can begin the destruction of our relationships. So given that, here's the principle that we all need to know. You'll hear me say it more than once throughout this series, but here it is. It's on the screens. Bring it up. Here we go. Go, read it with me. One, two, three, go. Your relationships will never rise above the level of the words exchanged between you. One more time. Your relationships will never rise above the level of the words exchanged between you. Simply put, your relationship is no closer, I mean your marriage is no closer than the words that you share with each other. Your kids, your relationship with your kids is no more powerful than the ears and the mouths that are connected to it. Our church is only as strong as the communication among us. Communication is huge. It's at the heart of all of this. So let me show you why today. Let me just kind of break this down, set it up for you, and then hopefully we'll come away really highly motivated uh, to get this series. If you can't be here every Sunday, then watch online. Go to the website and watch the videos as they roll out. This is huge, guys. Uh, th this, has, uh, this series uh, and these series of teachings uh, have changed my life. They've changed my own relationships. They've changed the way I do ministry. And, and I think anybody that's close to me will attest to that. And I hope that they will affect you in deeply profound ways. So today, let's just set the stage. Why is this so important? Proverbs chapter 18 Verses 20 to 21 sets it up for us. Let's read it together. From the fruit of his mouth, and a man's stomach is filled. With the harvest from his lips, he is satisfied. Now, here's the part of the passage that may be familiar to you. We've probably heard it before if you've been around here. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Now, that's true. That word life in the Hebrew is, it means vitality. It means life springing forth. That word death is the Hebrew word maveth that literally means uh, misery. It means ruin. It, it means things that, that ultimately lead to, to death. And so he's saying our words have that kind of power. But here's the part of the passage that often gets left off that I want you to get and I want to unpack for us this morning, and that is harvest from his lips. You see that phrase in the verse? You see the word fruit twice. You see the word seeds in there. What Solomon is saying is that our words are like seeds that get planted and they produce a harvest. 
Every time you utter a word, it's like putting a seed in the ground and there is a harvest that comes from it. In other words, you get to decide whether you bring life or death, vitality or misery into the relationships in your life by the words that you speak. You get to make that decision. So simply put, words are like seeds that ultimately produce fruit. Hear me, guys. Every word we say has long-term implications. There's no such thing as we say words and they evaporate into the air. It simply isn't true. Jesus made the power of words very, very clear in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 and 32. He said, therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Do you get that? Now, there's lots of theology in that verse that we don't have time to unpack this morning. So what I really want you to get is that the only unforgivable sin is committed by words, by the words that we speak. Does that give you an idea? And, and just for the sake of you, that you hear this verse and you immediately say, man, I've, I've said horrible things about God when I was mad at him or I was upset. Does that mean it's unforgivable? Let me just tell you this. I've got time to unpack it in detail, but I'll tell you this. If you're worried about it, you didn't commit it. Because <laughs> once you commit it, he lets you go. Okay? So don't worry about that. If you're under conviction, you're fine. Just deal with it and understand that words are very serious. Say it with me. Words are very serious. One more time. Words are very serious. In fact, Jesus goes on to say in verse 37 of that same chapter, I tell you on the day of judgment, men will render account for every, what? Every careless word they utter. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That's how powerful and long-lasting words are. They are somehow, according to Jesus himself, they are somehow stored up in heaven until one day we stand before him and we will give an account for every one of them. I don't know exactly how he'll do that. My mind's a little weird, so I get this picture of an angel walking in with a big old boom box on his shoulder and, and saying, okay, Jim, you ready? And press and play. And I have to stand there and listen to every phone conversation, every dirty joke, every piece of gossip, every lie, every profane word, every mean-spirited, judgmental, or racist thing I ever said. while the one who loves me stands there weeping. And not just listen, but Jesus said, by your words will you be either justified or condemned. Now, before you were running out of the church screaming and crying, there is good news. There's an erase button on that boom box. It's called confession and repentance and forgiveness. We still have the opportunity to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. The Bible says if we will confess, God will forgive. In fact, the Bible calls it justification, which is another way of saying just as if it never happened. You can erase those words by the power of Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed on Calvary. That's good news. Can I get somebody to say that's good news? Give it up for good news this morning. 
The sad reality, those are a lot of people who will give an account for careless words in their lives, and it may be because they didn't realize the power of their words, so they never dealt with it. Or it may be that they did realize it, but they were too proud to admit I was wrong, ask for forgiveness. They take this attitude, it's no big deal, it's just words. And I need you to hear me say, guys, the Bible is clear, words are a big deal. And we will eat the fruit of the seeds our words plant. What I want you to get in the few minutes that I've got left with you today is I want you to get this, this simple truth. This principle doesn't just apply to our eternal relationship with God. It applies to our earthly relationships today. So in the time we've got, I just want to lean into the law of the harvest. And I want to apply the law of the harvest to this idea of words as seeds. Some of you know the law of the harvest. You know what it is? The law of the harvest. You don't have to be a, a Christian or a church person to understand the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest says what? You reap what you sow. If you plant corn seed, you get rice, right? No, that's not the way it works. You plant corn, you get corn. The second part of the law of the harvest says you reap more than you sow. You put two kernels of corn in the ground, you get two ears of corn on a stalk. You reap more than you sow. And the third part of the law says that there is a time period between the sowing of the seed and the reaping of the harvest. You put your seeds in the ground in the spring, and you get a harvest in the fall. So let's just, let's just walk through that. Let's apply that law to words as seeds and see if we can make sure that we're planting the kind of seeds that will produce a harvest. Again, throughout this series, we're going to teach you what looks like a good seed versus a bad seed. We're going to talk about the role of listening in all of this. We're going to talk about what do you do when you haven't gotten it right, like all of us have gotten it wrong. How do you resolve conflict? And ultimately, we're going to talk about how to communicate without even using words. But today, let's get this. Part one of the law of the harvest is what again? You will reap what you sow. Say it with me. You will reap what you sow. Go ahead and personalize it. I will reap what I sow. The book of Galatians is very clear. It simply says, uh, chapter 6, verse 7, don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always reap what you sow. You can pretend that doesn't apply to you. But it does. Ignoring God is the same thing as thumbing your nose at him and saying, I don't care. That's true with all of the laws of God. If you're on a tall building and you look out and say, you know what, I think I can fly, and you step off the building, I need you to understand something. There's a law called gravity. And you're, the sidewalk is coming. Now, you can, you can get mad at me for telling you that truth. You can say, I don't want that to apply to me. I'm offended that you would say something like that to me. I, I, all I know is the sidewalk's coming. That's just all I know. You, you may actually get along pretty good for a while. You know, you, you may fly by the 15th floor and somebody lean out the window and say, how's it doing? You say, man, the view is awesome up here. You get to the 10th floor and say, how's it going? Well, it's a little breezy, but I'm having fun. But the sidewalk is coming. Because you can't ignore the laws of God. Now, that that's, seems basic, and yet it is so huge. You plant a peach seed, you get a peach tree. The problem is we recognize that in farming, but then we ignore it when it comes to communication. So before we move on to the second part of this law, can I tell you two 
common deceptions that I've heard over the years when it comes to communications. Uh, here's one, here's one uh, that drives me batty. Um, is this belief, this common deception that I can get a constructive result from a destructive words. Somehow I believe I can get a constructive results from destructive words. Married couples do it to each other all the time. They don't like something their spouse is doing, and before you know it, they let them have it. They threaten them with everything under the sun. It's a buster. If you don't change, I'm out of here. I got my attorney on speed dial. I got my bags packed. You better get your act together or I'm gone from this place. Or we start yelling things at each other, and, and before you know it, we're, we're saying things we never dreamed we'd say to a stranger, much less somebody we love the most. And before you know it, we're using all kinds of language we would never use because emotion is now driving the words that are coming out. We compare them to the most terrible person on the planet. You're just like Hitler. You're like Attila the Hun. You're just like my first wife. I mean, there's just all kinds of things that we say to each other in the heat of the moment. And I just, if that's what you're doing, I need you to know you can't ignore God's law and get away with it. Every time you plant those kind of seeds, you're going to get a harvest from it. And it's not the harvest that you, you want. I get it, Jim. I hear you, but I'm just trying to wake them up. I know, but you can't get good fruit from bad seed. Hear me, every time you threaten, you sow seeds of doubt in the relationship. When you say, Buster, I'm out of here, next time you've got a conflict, he's afraid to deal with it because he thinks you're going to leave now. You didn't restore confidence. You established doubt. Every time you use abusive language, you do the same thing. It's like, man, I don't want to talk to her. She's just going to beat me up. She's going to drive me crazy. I just don't want to talk. And so you start ignoring each other, avoiding each other. You get a harvest. Does this make sense? Uh, it's going to be the same. That harvest is going to come until you pull those seeds up. Did I say there's good news in this? Yeah, you can pull back. You can pluck those seeds up by saying powerful things like, I'm sorry I was wrong. I am totally committed to you. I'm totally committed to this marriage. But hear me, every time you use abusive words, you sow seeds of pain and misery rather than seeds of vitality and Life. Uh, Let me illustrate it this way. Don't respond. Okay, sit real still, but think about it. When was the last time somebody got mad at you, whoever it happened to be, got mad at you and started yelling at you, and and the the longer it went, the louder they got, and the more uh, abusive their language got until they're cussing you out, and and then they're running out of cuss words, and they're making cuss words up. They're just letting you hold it, and when they finally finish that long barrage of stuff, you looked at them and said, thank you. (laughs) Boy, I needed that. Ah, But it was so good. Man, next time I'm messing up, would you you let me have it again? Would you just, come on. Woo, boy, that felt good. Ah, is that the way it works? It's not the way it works, guys. That is not the way it works. We know that's crazy, and yet I've heard parents say horrible things to their kids and wonder later why it's so hard to manage them when they get older. Whatever the relationship, you reap what you sow. And destructive words do not produce a constructive harvest. The second deception that I've seen Satan perpetrate on relationships over the years is this. I would say something constructive, but it wouldn't help. It wouldn't make any difference. 
I can't tell you the number of times back in the day when I was doing marriage counseling that, uh, that a guy or a gal would tell me something about a problem in their marriage and, and I would look at him and say, well, have you talked to your spouse yet? It wouldn't matter. Well, I, you know, well, why don't you then just go to your spouse and say, you know, I know we both got a part of this, but I really want to talk about my part right now. I'm sorry. I blew it. And, and what's really important to me is you, and I want to be in this relationship. You know, we can get to your stuff later. Right now, I, I want this marriage to work. And, and, the, and they would look at me and say, I mean, look me dead in the eye and say, it would not make a difference if I did. Let's just be honest, guys. We've all been in that place where we think I would say something, but I don't think it will help. But can I tell you that I've never met a farmer, and they're really smart people. Just, I'll just throw that in. They're really smart people who looked across their fields and said, I would plant some seeds, but it won't make any difference. Okay, I need some crops, and I need some money, and I need a harvest, but what's the point? It might not rain. What's the point? It might not, I may not have fertilizer. What's the point? I may not cultivate it. I, there's no point in planting seeds. I'm just going to hoard these seeds back in a barrel somewhere in the barn. They're smart enough to know the only way you get a harvest is to plant some seeds. Ready for part two? Part one of the law of the harvest is what? You reap what you sow. Second part of the law of the harvest is you reap more than you sow. The Apostle James hit this one from several different angles in chapter 3 of his book, James 3, 2. We all stumble in many ways. Can I get an amen in the house? No elbows. This is, you know, just uh, ourselves. Here we go. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check, which obviously is a way of saying ain't none of us able to do that. Come on. He goes on to illustrate that in three different ways then. He, he, says, he says, you know, there's, there's a tiny little bit that can control a huge horse. There's a small rudder that can change the direction of a huge ship. There's a forest fire that starts from a tiny little spark. And then he says in verse 6, and here's what I want you to get. In verse 6 says, it, that spark, can set your whole life on fire, for it is set by the fire of hell itself. You understand what James is saying? He's saying Satan knows that if he can break your communication down, he can destroy your marriage. And so the source of all that junk is from Satan himself. Did I mention his agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy your marriage, your parent-child relationships, your friendships, our church, other God-honoring, Bible-believing churches? That's his agenda. And while that makes sense, sometimes we just think, well, it it doesn't really apply to me. I had the guy that said to me one time, I don't know why she's so mad. It's only words. I mean, I only told her once she was fat and ugly. I don't know what she's so mad about. It only takes a few badly chosen words to destroy a relationship. Amen. The good news is the same is true on the opposite side. Never underestimate the power of a sincere apology and never underestimate the harvest from good seed being planted. Can I tell you a story right quick? It came to my mind in first service, and, uh, you know, I'm asking you permission, but I'm going to tell it anyways. It's nice to ask you. <laughs> Many of you know Kim and I planted a church in Chesapeake, Virginia. Back in 89, we led that church for almost 25 years, and, and God blessed in, in wonderful kinds of ways. What you may not know, 
is that about 10 years in, the church had been growing, and we hit one of those growth ceilings where we had to do a lot of changing and changing the way we structured the church and organized things in order to keep reaching the harvest. And, and have you ever noticed that church people don't like change? Have, have you you ever notice that? And, and have you ever noticed that when people decide to leave a church because they don't like a change that's going on, they don't just leave with integrity. They do as much damage as they can before they go. You ever, you ever seen that? Please tell me you don't do that. Please, don't, please tell me you don't do that. But that's what happens sometimes. Is, is they, they don't feel right about leaving a relationship, uh, so they, they do what we call injustice gathering. They find all the reasons I have no choice, i got to go, and then they try to find as many people as they can to dump that on before they leave so they can take some people with them. That's just how they justify their departure. Well, we were in one of those seasons at the church. We had people leaving, and, and we even had a couple of staff members that left, and during that time, because they felt like we were wrong about some of the changes we were making. One day I had a gathering of the leaders. We called it the Leaders Forum, and we had all of our staff and small group leaders in a room together, and we were just kind of vision casting and brainstorming about the future. And, and so I started the meeting and had a prayer, and here we go into the meeting, and somebody raised their hand and said, Pastor, before we get into the meeting, could you address the letter? And I said, I, what letter? I don't know what you're talking about. She said, you haven't seen the letter? No, I don't. she said there was a letter th that went to all of us. It was in our mailbox. It was in our email inboxes. I mean, we all got this letter uh, that accuses the elders of our church of not living up to the standards that that they're holding that you guys are holding us to. And could you just address that? And I said, ah. In fact, she said, well, if you haven't seen the letter, then it's moot. I don't even care. I said, well, I do. Give me the letter. I want to see it. And so I read through it right quick, and I said, guys, I don't know what to tell you. If, if, there's, a, if there's a standard that we're holding you to, a biblical standard uh, that the elders are not living up to, then we want to know. We want to know because we'll, we'll apologize if we're wrong. We'll ask for forgiveness if we messed up. We operate with integrity around here. And everybody's, you know, but you could feel the tension in the air. I mean, it was one of those, you know, if it's smoke, then maybe it's fire and, you know, all that kind of tension. Charlie Mann, uh, one of our small group leaders, said, Pastor, could I, could I share a thought? And I said, surely, Charlie, I know him well and, and love the man to death. And he stood up and he said, here's what's going through my mind. Instead of us uh, sitting here uh, accusing our elders of things we have no evidence of, maybe we ought to be asking ourselves, which one of us is the next one to say, I love you one day, and I'm out of here, and I'm going to do as much damage as I can before I leave the next day. And the whole atmosphere in the house changed. I mean, everything changed. We decided in that moment that's a prophetic word from the Lord, and we received it. And everything changed. The church got momentum again. We grew another thousand over the next couple of years. Thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ. And, and we never looked back from that moment in time when a positive word, a seed that was planted in our hearts that produced a harvest. Hear me, guys. There is power in words, both negatively and positively. Don't ever underestimate it. It can set the direction of your life. It can set the direction of thousands of people's lives. So let's recap. The first part of the law of the harvest is what? You reap what you sow. And that's why I'm going to say a lot of words into the relationships of my life, words like I love you, I believe in you, I'm sorry, I blew it, you are amazing, you are the best thing that ever happened to me, I am committed to you, I am so glad you're in my life. I'm going to say those things. I'm going to say them 
till you're tired of hearing them because I know that those seed, those words are seeds that will produce a harvest. The second part of the law is what? You reap more than you sow. Those little bitty words will produce a huge harvest. In fact, they will set in motion the very direction of your life. But in order for that to be true, you've got to remember part three. Part three of the law of the harvest is what? Do you remember? There's a time delay between the planting of the seeds and the reaping of the harvest. In farming terms, we're talking about putting the seeds in the ground. Uh, perhaps in the spring, you don't get a harvest until the fall. So let's go back to our Galatians 6 passage. We're in verse 9 this time. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if, what is it? If we do not give up. Now, this part of the law is huge because all too often we make a commitment to the first two parts of the law of the harvest. We sow good seed. We expect good harvest. But then we prevent the very harvest that we want from coming to us because we don't have the patience to wait for the harvest to come. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. So let's shift gears in the last few minutes I've got with you, and let me give you the four steps. So, you know, those of you that know me, I'm one of those, let's get real practical here. How do you do this stuff? I, I got the principle, but what about the practice? I call it the YBH, the yes but how. Let me give you four steps to cooperating with the law of the harvest in your relationships, okay? Four simple steps, easier to say than do, but I want you to commit to them, okay? Step number one is you've got to prepare the seedbed. We're just going to talk in farming terms. You've got to prepare the seedbed. First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. I like the way the message paraphrases that. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. Be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. That goes for all of you. No exceptions, no retaliation, no sharp-tongued sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing and also get a blessing. So the first step to being in a healthy relationship is if you don't have their ear, you don't have their heart, you can't plant the seeds. So you've got to prepare the seed bed with agreeable, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, humble words. You harden the seed bed when you retaliate you use sharp tongue sarcasm. When you, when you communicate in that way, you harden, you create fallow ground that the seeds can't penetrate. Does this make sense? And so uh, here's what I want, need you to hear, and we'll move on, is have you figured out yet that you can love somebody and accept them and be respectful to them even when you don't approve of what they're doing? That you can accept somebody without approving of them? Have you figured that out yet? It is in being accepting and loving and respectful of them as a person, as a person who's flawed just like we are, just like I am, a person who needs God just like I do, a person who woke up this morning with the same desperate need that I have. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. We've all got that in common, and you start focusing on that common ground and communicating in those respectful kinds of terms, and you prepare the seedbed. And what happens when you are a blessing? What did Peter say? When you are a blessing, you get a blessing. That's what happens. And if you've messed up in this area, then you may need to start preparing the seedbed with those words I've been mentioning today. I'm sorry. I love you. Here's a principle. We'll, we'll look at this during the series. 
Reconciliation always comes before resolution. You may want to write that down somewhere. Reconciliation always comes before resolution. The biggest mistake we make when we get into conflict with one another is we, we immediately try to go to resolution of the issues. Well, hear me. If you don't reconcile on a relational level, you will never resolve the issues. You have to start with reconciliation. I love you. I want to be in relationship with you. I accept you, and I want you to accept me. We both got stuff. I got stuff. You got stuff. All got children got stuff, right? But in that reconciliation relationship, then we can begin to work on resolving the conflict. We'll talk about that in a lot of detail during the series. The second how-to then is you've got to plant the seed. First, you prepare the seed bed, and then you plant the seed. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, we've talked about good seed. Speaking the truth with love, we will grow up in every way into Christ, who is the head. So in that loving atmosphere, you lovingly speak the truth. And let's just be honest, guys. Nobody's up here saying that all of our communications are going to be lovely, warm, positive, wonderful. That's not life. Hello? That's not life. Sometimes you're going to speak truths that will be easy and restorative and you can't wait to have this conversation. And sometimes you're going to speak words that are hard to say and hard to hear. But out of that relationship of respect and love, you've prepared a seedbed to even say the hard things. Because hear me, either way, the seed has to be planted before the harvest can come. Kim and I raised three sons. And so there were lots of conversations over those years that we said productive things and encouraging things. But there were some times when we had to have hard conversations with our sons. There were times when I wondered if we were going to get through those years together. Adam, our middle son, uh, blessed my life just a few years ago. He's almost 40 now, but just a few years ago, he blessed my life when we were in conversation. And he said, Dad, in those late teen years, early 20s before I left home, I didn't always agree with what you were saying, but I never once doubted your love for me in saying them. You see, you've got to prepare the seed bed, but then you've got to plant the seeds if you're ever going to get a harvest. You've got to say it. You've got to communicate it. Number three, you pray. You pray. You expect a preacher to say that, but guys, you've got to pray. Philippians chapter 4, verse seven, 6 and 7, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what does everything include? Does it include your relational tensions? Yeah, marriages, kids, friends, church members, is, is it everything? Yeah, tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So when you find yourself in the midst of the turmoil, did I mention this is a spiritual war? You find yourself in the midst of this turmoil and your mind is racing and Satan is, one of his favorite tactics is to plant these things in your mind. Those words are, are falling on deaf ears. They're not hearing a word you're saying. Nothing's ever going to change. His favorite tactic is to discourage you. Pray, 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 pray. When you find your son, it's no use. This child is unteachable. Why bother to say anything? Because if you give up, you don't get the harvest. That's why. What does law three, the part three say? You only reap if you don't give up and keep in mind the same Solomon that said the power of life and death is in the tongue is also the one who wrote train up a child in the way he's gold and when he's old he will not depart from 
it. You're trying to train your child and teach them values. You're looking for every possible teaching moment to speak life. You're planting seeds into their heart, believing that one day a harvest will come. Let's be honest, guys. When they're first born, they are so cute. Some of you just come in, you know, even today with these brand new babies and and I'm embarrassed that I do it, but I see the parents, and I start to greet the parents, and I see the baby, and my eyes go down. I forgot who the parents are. I'm just going to be, son of that baby's so cute. Just We love those little babies, you know. i got eight grandchildren, and, and I just love my grandbabies and, and, and anybody else's grandbabies, for that matter. I just love them little things. And, and, you know, they're so cute. And then they get into the terrible twos. And then they get into the awful eights. And then they get into the terrifying teens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, those are realities of parenting. All the while you're praying for a harvest. Praying, Lord, help me to love from the heart. Lord, help me to plant good seeds. Lord, help me to, Lord, help me to see them the way you see them because right now I want to hug their necks. <laughs> As our boys were growing up, you know, they messed up like everybody else's kids did. And we we're very, very careful to make sure we used our words properly. I mean, sometimes I'd want to say, you little maniac, what in the world? What's wrong with you, boy? I mean, that's what I wanted to say, but, but I would challenge myself to say things like, well, you know, this is not consistent with who you are. Come on, man, you're, you're a better character than that. You, you, you are smarter than that. This is not who you are. This, this is an anomaly. This isn't your character inside. I'm praying, oh God, he duct taped the dog to the tree limb. I think that's how serial killers got started. Oh Jesus, help me. My boy's going to be a mass murderer. And all the while I'm saying, this is not who you are, son. Now cut the dog down. We got some discipline to take care of. Are you hearing me? You prepare the seed bed with love. You plant seeds of truth. Sometimes loving, wonderful truths, sometimes hard truths, and you pray that God will give you peace while you wait for the harvest. Number four, and I'll wrap this up as you put your trust in the Lord. And this is this is bigger than you might think, so don't don't tune out on me, okay? I'm gonna let you go before the Baptists get to the restaurant, I promise. We'll let you go. You've got to put your trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, common passage, but apply it to the, con- for the context of today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't depend on your own understanding. Remember the Lord in all. What does all include? What, does it include communications? Does it include your relationships? Yeah. R- remember the Lord in all you do, and he will give you success. Here's the biggest mistake we make in communication. We prepare the seed bed. We plant the seeds for the harvest, and then we try to... Are you here? And then we try to force the harvest to come by adding our power to it. If they don't hear us fast enough, we get louder. And before you know it, our volume is at this level. What's wrong with you that you can't hear what I'm saying? And understand when, and I understand the emotions of that. I've been there, done that. I understand how emotions can take over and that can happen, but you need to remind yourself when that kind of stuff happens, you are somehow putting your trust in your ability to communicate this, then you are putting your trust in the Lord that he will honor his word, that if you plant good seeds, you'll get a harvest. Here's what I need you to hear, and I'll close. The truth has power of its own. Say it with me. The truth has power 
of its own. In fact, when you try to add your power to the truth, you diminish the power of the truth. Truth whispered is powerful in itself. So remember the law of the harvest. Prepare the seed bed. Plant good seeds knowing that I'm going to reap what I sow. I'm going to reap more than I sow. One day, at the right time, I'll see the harvest from it. Pray, Lord, guard my heart so that I don't let emotions take over when I don't see it happening in the time frame and the pace that I want it to. And then, Lord, I'm going to put my trust in you. Can I tell you in closing that this is the way God has worked with me through the years? Uh, I, you tell me how he's worked with you. I, I don't remember ever hearing God say to me, you loser, you're never going to amount to anything. What I've heard God say is he's spoken to me through a line of a sermon that a preacher preached or he spoke to me in a discussion in a small group gathering or he spoke to me from a song that I was listening to on the radio or he spoke to me while I was in my quiet time reading the Bible and a word jumped off the page and hit me and word by word, event by event, moment by moment, he's changed my life patiently, lovingly, loving me when I got it right and loving me when I got it wrong to make me the man I am today and that journey continues. I'm asking you to treat the people in your life the way God treats you. Let's pray. Jesus. Jesus, thank you for loving us while we were still sinners. While we were thumbing our nose at you, you loved us so much you gave your life for us. I pray that in that grace, you would give us grace. That in receiving grace, we would be purveyors of grace to the people that we're in relationship with. Teach us the truth of these words from your word and help us to understand that in living by these truths, we will reap the harvest of healthy relationships we long for. Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher and take these words to our hearts? Thank you. Thank you. I'd like for all of you, while your heads are bowed and it's just a quiet moment between you and you and the Lord and me, I'd like for you to consider praying a prayer with me. Just pray back what we've been talking about today. Do it out loud. Do it silently. I don't care, but would you pray these words with me? Lord, help me to remember how powerful my words are. Help me to remember that they are like seeds that no words evaporate into the air. There is, in fact, a harvest that will come. And I get to decide what kind of harvest I want. Help me to plant good seeds. Help me to prepare the seed bed with love and compassion, sympathy. Help me to plant seeds of truth. Help me to be patient while I wait for the harvest and help me to trust that you're at work even when I don't see what you're doing 
In Jesus' name, Father, you know the relationships across this house and online all over the world that are watching us right now. You know the relationships that we're in and what we stand in need of. Would you speak good seeds into our hearts? In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I sense there's somebody in this room that's that's heard these words and you recognize that you haven't always gotten this right, but you also recognize that you don't have the power to change it. So I need to say to you, Jesus is the answer. The first step to being a gracious person is to receive the grace of Jesus Christ. The first step to being a forgiver is to feel forgiven. So if you're not absolutely sure that you have a personal relationship with Jesus this morning, would you pray a prayer with me? The altars will be open in a minute. You can pray with somebody here, but but at the very least right now, would you pray this prayer with me? My heart's breaking for somebody in this room right now who thinks it's done, it's gone, it's too late. It's not too late for you. It's not too late. Jesus, thank you for loving me while I was ignoring you, running from you. Give me a fresh start today. Forgive me. Give me that new life you promised. And I'm going to thank you for it, and I'm going to depend on you to give me the power to be that kind of person that plants good seeds in the relationships of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? If you prayed that last prayer, would you do me the honor of letting me know you've committed your life to Christ today? We really want to know. You can fill out a Connect card and check a box. You can stop by the VIP table. You can come to the altar this morning. You can text New Life to 55498. Let me know because those texts come to me and I'm able to pray for you. Take advantage of the opportunity. The Bible says that if you want a new life, you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's important that you take that next step. Thank you so much for coming. I hope that you're praying for this series. In fact, if you know somebody who's in a relationship that communication is struggling, bring them to church. Let's be together for the next few weeks. Father, thank you now for taking us from this place and helping us to to understand the power of our words. Let us plant seeds that produce a wonderful harvest in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next Sunday. The altars are open. Take advantage of it.